We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, within the context of Queen Elizabeth's death and her funeral, I want to talk about the influence of Great Britain once again on the March for Human Freedom. And I'm going to cite two British authors, John Lennox and Oz Guinness, and what they believe is the key difference between human freedom and fascism. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Well, I've spent the last couple days talking about Queen Elizabeth. And if you listened to yesterday's show, you know that I basically tried to spend the entire program discussing how her worldview apparently shifted from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where her speeches seemed to focus on humanism as the solution to all that ails us. The, the cure to the disease was to double down on our own wisdom, our own power, and our own ideas. I quoted to you an excerpt from a speech that she gave in 1953 when she ascended to the throne as the Queen of England, where she said, let us set out to build a truer knowledge of ourselves and our fellow man, and to use the tremendous, tremendous forces of science and learning for the betterment of man's lot upon the earth. And then 20 years later, I quoted this to you yesterday, where in 1973, she said, Britain and the other European countries see in the community, with a capital C there, I might add, a new opportunity for the future. We believe that if we work together, the whole world will benefit. We are trying to create a wider family of nations. And then, as you know, yesterday, I said that her emphasis, her focus, her worldview seemed to change dramatically as she moved into the turn of the century. And that in the year 2000, she started focusing on the teachings of Christ and her personal faith in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, as an inspiration, an anchor, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. And then she said, Christ's example has taught me to seek and respect and value people. Now, I could go on and cite all of those quotes again for you, but I'm just trying to give you the context for what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to use this this focus that the world has right now on Queen Elizabeth and her legacy to bring you back to the anchor of the British Empire and what it actually gave Western civilization and gave the world. And I'm going to argue that the ideas, the ideals, the worldview of Christianity, of the biblical worldview, the biblical ethic, Judeo-Christianity, if you will. I'm not arguing that everybody was born again within this context of Christendom. But what I am going to argue is that Great Britain, the United Kingdom, gave us a gift. And the gift it gave us was the preservation of a biblical worldview, the seeding of human freedom. 
one of my friends posted this on Facebook. His name is Andrew Sandlin. He's brilliant. He posted this very brief comment recently within the context of Queen Elizabeth's death and the fact that the world is focusing on her legacy and her ideals and her leadership. Andrew Sandlin posted this just a couple days ago. He says, the British Empire had many faults, but it's important to remember that wherever it went, including North America, it elevated the standard of living, fostered the rule of law, and inculcated generic Christian truth. Alternatively, Andrew Sandlin says, many of the decolonization movements of the 20th century created murderous, dictatorial, Marxist, or nationalist regimes, leaving horror in their wake. And then he concludes, if you must choose between the British Empire and revolutionary decolonization, choose the Brits every time. Close quote, Andrew Sandlin. Now, this is an important statement, and therefore I'm going to read it to you one more time before we take a break. And then I will use Oz Guinness, a British author who lives in the United States and has for a couple decades, at least, if not more, and John Lennox, an Oxford scholar, two Brits who have a lot to say about the difference in worldviews, the secularist worldview, the worldview of the French Revolution, if you will, versus the worldview of Great Britain and the American Revolution, the Magna Carta and the Constitution versus the French Revolution, secularism, and humanism. One more time on Andrew Sandlin and his claim that the British Empire has actually ceded human freedom, good ideas in Western civilization. Here's his quote again. The British Empire had many faults, but it's important to remember that wherever it went, including North America, it elevated the standard of living, fostered the rule of law, and inculcated generic Christian truth. Alternatively, many of the decolonization movements of the 20th century created murderous, dictatorial, Marxist, or national regimes leaving horror in their wake. If you must choose between the British Empire and revolutionary decolonization, choose the Brits every time. Close quote. Let's take a break, and when we get back, I'm going to defend Andrew Sandlin's perspective using Oz Guinness and John Lennox as a means to do so. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. All right, so today's show, again, is focused on the influence of Great Britain, the Anglo influence on the world. What did the United Kingdom do for human freedom? Did it uh, accomplish good things or bad things? Now, I want to make this very clear. I'm not claiming that the United Kingdom was perfect in any stretch of the imagination. There were sins committed, and those sins are very clear. For example, the sin of the slave trade. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saves a Wretch Like Me, the author of that hymn, was the captain of a slave ship. You probably know this. I've talked about it before on this show. But just as a reminder, that British citizen was a very evil man, a very sinful man, a very broken human being. He trafficked slaves from Africa to the United States and then up to England. He was part and parcel of a great evil. But out of the same culture, the British culture, the culture of the United Kingdom, came William, William Wilberforce at the same time. And William Wilberforce 
was a, was a man who was redeemed. He recognized that the ideals of the United Kingdom were being compromised, that this quote-unquote Christian nation was not living up to its Christianity, and that treating a certain segment of people as if they were chattel is unbiblical and wrong because it was denying them the imago Dei, the image of God. It was denying them the freedom that comes from being created in the image of God because God himself is the exemplar of freedom. He cannot be restrained. He will do as he will do. God defines himself as I am. Not I will be or not that I was, but that I am, which implicit in that definition, in that title he claims for himself is I will be who I will be. I cannot be restrained. I am the eternal existence of definition, of truth, of liberty, of freedom. I am who I am. And it's this definition of God and the fact that you and I are created in the image of the great I am that we can aspire to true liberty and true freedom because we cannot be restrained and controlled by by power like an animal is, like cows are or horses are. They don't desire the same dignity. They don't have the same moral awareness. They don't have the same yearning for freedom, to think freely, to debate, to make arguments that will transcend their temporal existence. No, animals don't do that. I've talked to you before about this. When you drive through the ranches, you don't see the cows debating things like you and I are doing so right now on this show. They don't have the capacity, the desire, the inclination to do that because they're not created in the image of God. They're not the Imago Dei. You and I are. That's the difference. And this is a primary difference between the secular worldview and the biblical worldview. It is an essential difference between the ideas of the French Revolution and the ideas of the American Revolution, which are grounded in the Magna Carta, which comes from where? Great Britain, the United Kingdom, the world of John Newton, the great sinner who came to Christ redeemed. In fact, at one point in his life, John Newton said, I know two things. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. That was his go-to verse, if you will. Not a Bible verse, but it was grounded in biblical verse. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. John Newton. He repented. He recanted. He revived. He had a restoration, a reformation. He returned to true north because he recognized there was a measuring rod outside of himself, that he revolved around the sun. The sun didn't revolve around him. He had a Capernaum Uh, view of the world. He had that revolution in his heart, mind, and soul, recognizing that he, a man, was not the center of all things, but that God was, and that God was incarnate in his Savior, Jesus Christ. So one more time, John Newton, I know two things, and two things I know. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. So, It's this worldview that stands in stark contrast to other worldviews, the worldview of Marxism, for example. And this is what Andrew Sandlin is pointing out in this quote that I cited to you before we took a break. When you have the option before you to elevate the um, worldview 
of the Brits, the Magna Carta, of human dignity, human freedom, the worldview of John Newton after his reformation, his revival, his repentance, his uh, the fact that he was born again and didn't accept the fact that he was born that way, the fact that he was saved by a Savior and not uh, simply fixated on himself, the fact that he recognized that treating other people created in the image of God poorly is bad, it's wrong, it's a sin. And then when you see that William Wilberforce comes along and uses the soap of Scripture, the the cleansing agent of the Christianity that uh, the British people embraced, at least officially. Wilberforce used the soap that Providence had given him to clean a dirty culture. And as the result of that, the slave trade was abolished. After 25 years of scrubbing away, maybe it was 23 years, forgive me if I've got that date wrong, but it was over 20 years, I think it was 23, 25 years, William Wilberforce argued on the floor of the British Parliament to stop the slave trade. And what did he use as he made that argument? He used that soap, that's the analogy I'm using right now, of a biblical worldview, of the Christianity that Great Britain claimed to embrace. He said, look, We may have our orthodoxy right, but we don't have our orthopraxy right. We still claim to hold on to these ideas of Christianity, a biblical worldview, but we're not practicing it. Again, orthodoxy, right ideas, orthopraxy, right behavior. Now, let me digress a second here. I've said a thousand times over, ideas have consequences. And if you have orthodoxy, right ideas, you can go back to those right ideas as the true north, the cleansing agent, the soap, the detergent, if you will, to clean things up. You can turn around, you can revive, you can repent, you can recant, you can return, okay, back to the things that matter. But if your ideas are bad in the first place, there's no no place to return to. You're floundering. You are, you're dust in the wind. There's nothing good that's going to happen from having bad ideas. So it's very important to recognize that orthodoxy, good thinking, is the predicate to orthopraxy, good behavior, good practice. And this was essentially what Wilberforce did in the United Kingdom, in Great Britain, on the floor of the British Parliament. He argued for a return to the true north, those good ideas, the orthodoxy of a biblical worldview and the Christian faith that Great Britain claimed to embrace, but had stopped practicing. This is critical. This is critical because this argument of orthodoxy is an argument for ideas being outside of ourselves. There's something out there that we should aspire to. There are bigger and better ideas than what you come up with in your own head. This is the importance of what Os Guinness and John Lennox call the Copernicus, Copernian worldview. Copernicus argued that the earth revolves around the sun not the sun around the earth. Now, why is this important? Because for eons, humanity had believed that the earth was the center of everything. Whether it was the Greeks or the Romans, whatever humanist view had prevailed, even in the church at that time, the church was buying the lie, the unscientific conclusion, something that wasn't factual, a fad, if you will, 
that the earth was the center of all. Now, this is a metaphor. This is symbolic for where we are today, or at least according to Oz Guinness and John Lennox it is, and I would agree with them, obviously, because I'm bringing it to your attention in today's show. There are two really good books that are out right now. One is relatively new by Oz Guinness, and I've already referred to it in a previous show. The Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom. That is Oz Guinness's new book. <clears throat> Excuse me, I highly recommend, it. You recommend that you go out and buy it. Now, other, another book that's a few years old, I think it's uh, less than 10 years old, is by John Lennox, Seven Days That Divide the World. The Beginning According to Genesis and Science. Now, you might say, well, these two books seem to be very different. Why are you citing both of them in the same context, in the same show? It's because they're both saying the same thing. Um, the biblical message, the truth of the gen- Genesis narrative, as well as the truth of the story of the Exodus, they're all grounded in the exact same thing. And as the result of these stories, these biblical stories, being grounded in the exact same truth, we come to the same conclusion. And what's that conclusion? That God is God, you are not. That God is the sun around which we revolve, if you will, the Copernican worldview. And that we are not the center of everything. God is. And when you recognize the authority of God and revolve around him, Rather than assuming unto yourself that authority and asking everyone else to revolve around you, what's the result? The result is more human dignity, and when you have more human dignity, you will gain more human freedom. So the argument that Oz Guinness as well as John Lennox are making in their books, John Lennox's book, Seven Days That Divide the World, published, I think, uh, maybe about 10 years ago, and then Oz Guinness the Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith, and the Future of Freedom, which was published, I believe, this last year. Both of these books are making the same point. And both of these authors need to be attended to. Both of these authors understand that, in spite of its flaws, the civilization that was nurtured, it wasn't started by Great Britain by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, that's Oz Guinness's point in his book. This all started in the Exodus. This started with the Jews. This started at Sinai. Freedom started at Sinai. Sinai, the Ten Commandments, humanity revolving around God rather than human beings assuming and presuming to be God. It all started at Sinai. It all started there. Now, Lennox would say it all started in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, these two authors, these two brilliant thinkers, these two Brits are giving us something that we need to listen to. They're saying, attend to the lessons of history. Attend to the difference between the Magna Carta and the American Revolution and the revolution of 1789 rather than 1776. And what's 1789? It's the French Revolution. Attend to the huge difference between these two ideas as to how we are to live together. And what's the huge difference? Well, one resulted in human freedom. Not perfect, 
I'm not claiming that America is perfect. But what I am claiming, and I think it's irrefutable, that Americans, even those who despise God, even those atheists who, who shake their fist in the face of God, are enjoying more freedom than they would in communist China, in Russia, in Iran, in Iraq, in North Korea, in any of these despotic nations, atheists enjoy more freedom. They enjoy the fruit of the very worldview that they seem to despise. They enjoy that fruit. They eat of it more generously than they would if they lived in a different culture, a different country. Now, in our human arrogance, we deny that, but that's simply a fact. They wouldn't have the privilege of speaking out against their government, against their leaders, if they lived in a different country. They'd be put in jail. They might actually be executed for defying the leadership of these other countries. So here's the point. What Andrew Sandlin is saying when he says, go with the Brits every time rather than Marxism, rather than socialism, rather than fascism, learn the lessons of history, recognize that Great Britain was broken in many ways because human beings are broken in all ways. But there has to be a solution. There has to be a soap. There has to be a cleansing agent to correct that brokenness. And that cleansing agent can't be yourself. You can't cleanse yourself. You've got to have something outside of yourself to wash your hands. You have to have soap to get clean. There has to be something bigger and better than you. And this is the point that Os Guinness is making in the Sinai Revolution, and it's the point that I'm going to conclude the show with, inciting what John Lennox says in his book, Seven Days That Divide the World, the beginning according to Genesis and science. Now, Lennox is a mathematician, but he's also a philosopher. I was blessed to have him as one of my teachers at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, and I was also blessed at the same time to have Oz Guinness as one of my teachers. So I got to sit at the knee of both of these world-class thinkers, these Christian men who have humbled themselves rather than elevated, elevated themselves. They've admitted that they're not the center of everything, as brilliant as they are, that there's something out there smarter, wiser than them that they revolve around that rather than everybody revolving around them. Now, I'm going to conclude the show in the next few minutes by reading a quote from John Lennox out of his book, Seven Days That Divide the World. Uh, And again, Lennox is a scientist. He's a mathematician. But he's brilliant in the way he summarizes his conclusions with regard to the Genesis narrative and why it's so important. He says this at the end of his book. The man who addressed the disciples was none other than the Creator, the Word through whom all things came to exist. He was the architect of the solar system. He was the idea behind it. It was his idea to put the source of light outside the world. Hear that? It was Jesus' idea to put the source of light outside the world. Humans depend on light that is not only not in them, it is not even in their world. If in the physical realm, Lennox says, we are helplessly dependent on a light situated outside ourselves, what about the intellectual, the spiritual, and the moral realms? Where is the source of our insights and answers, inside or outside our own heads? The battle between world views of theism and naturalism is about whether or not there is an outside 
to get guidance from. The only source of wisdom for atheists is from within their own heads, says Lennox. For the biblical theist, there is a source of wisdom outside the whole system, and that source is God. Just as the earth depends on an external sun for its light, so any final explanation of our universe and of human beings that does not include God will unravel into darkness. Attempts to explain human beings solely in terms of animals or of explaining morality in terms of dictates of pain and pleasure, these attempts are bound to fail in the end. The sad irony, says Lennox, of the Enlightenment is that it puts the light inside man by making human reason the ultimate arbiter. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus himself is the source of light for the world. Close quote, John Lennox, in his book, Seven Days That Divide the World. Now, why is that so important to this show? Os Guinness is talking about the Magna Carta and the Exodus narrative and how human freedom started on Mount Sinai and that human freedom was preserved through God's providence, through the march of Western civilization to the Magna Carta, and then the American Revolution benefited from those ideas that were ensconced in the Magna Carta, and that we improved upon them, and we've enjoyed more liberty in the United States than any other nation in the march of human history. That's Os Guinness's argument. He goes to Mount Sinai and the Exodus story to make that particular point. Now, Lennox goes back to Genesis and says that we enjoy freedom because we have embraced this idea that the sun is something that we revolve around, that we have light outside of ourselves, and that we don't create the light in and of ourselves, that freedom is born from an idea outside of our own thinking, outside of our heads, not within our own brains, that there's a God and it's not you, it's not what you see in the mirror, it's what you read about in the Bible, it's what's revealed to you in natural law in, in, and in nature. This is Lennox's argument. They're both making the same point. Lennox is saying that the reality, the truth, the Copernicus truth, that there is a sun and we revolve around it, is the same truth that we see in Scripture, that there is a Savior, and it's not us. We revolve around him. He doesn't revolve around you or me. This is the context of freedom. I've said it over and over again on this show. There is no freedom without fences, and there is no liberty without law. And the message that Os Guinness is giving us in his book on the Sinai Revolution and the message that Lennox is giving us in his book on creation is the same message. If you want liberty, recognize there's a lawgiver that actually defines that liberty in a much better way than either you or I could ever do. If you want the freedom of Great Britain and the American Revolution and the Magna Carta versus the guillotine of the French Revolution, you better recognize that you're not God, that God is God, and that He defines what's good and what's right and what's true, not you or me. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. <laughs>